0: in Spain at the moment. It's a work trip, so nothing too exciting going on. I flew over here last night. I landed quite late and came here straight to the hotel. You know, on this trip, I likely won't see much other than the hotel and the office. I'm going back in a few days. As usual when I'm on a flight, I loaded up on podcasts and downloaded some content from BBC Sounds. I put in my earphones and stared out of the window listening to random comedies from Radio 4 Extra. One of the comedies this time was a sketch show by Lucy Montgomery from a few years ago. And it was a rather simple sketch about a woman out on the street giving away a free sample of a product and there was a man refusing to take it. And the woman handing out the free whatever it was, was kind of mocking the man because he wouldn't take something even though it was free. And she was constantly saying, but it's free. He's like, yeah, I know, I still don't want it, but it's free. Why don't you take it anyway? This rang a bit true for me because pretty much exactly the same thing had happened to me while I was in boots at the airport. Usually I check everything into the hold-on flights and so I can walk through the airport with with as little as possible and don't have to worry about the scrum to get the bag overhead on the plane or whatever. But this time, because I'm only here for a few days, I was traveling with a rucksack with everything in and that meant all my toiletries. Now I do have the little sized toiletries anyway for travel and my habit is usually that I, before I go, I check which things have run out or running low, and then when I get to the airport, I stock up on them because the boots at the airport has a much greater selection of the mini things than um, than the, the boots elsewhere. The thing that I don't get about those mini things is that they're exact mini recreations of the same packaging as the big thing, which means a lot of them are not nice shapes to tessellate into a bag and you've only got limited space in that little bag so if everything was in the same shape bottle that fitted nicely you could fit so much more in but no you have mouthwash in conical boxes and you have shampoo in oval shaped things anyway i was at the, the boots and um i had three things i needed to get i think shampoo and mouthwash were amongst them actually but anyway, I got to the till with my three items and I spent a good minute or two defending the fact that I didn't want a fourth. It was buy three, get one free. I didn't want a fourth. It wouldn't fit in my little bag, so I couldn't bring it back with me. I didn't really fancy getting something to throw away or use once or whatever. Um, She said, how about some hand cream? And I thought, is there something wrong with my hands as she noticed that my hands are particularly dry? In the end, I walked away having paid and taken my three things and she still kind of gave me a small shake of the head as so she was judging me as I was walking away. My next step in the uh, in the airport was to go to Giraffe. It's, you know, it's the kind of place where you can get something to eat which is both filling and you can convince yourself it's not too unhealthy. Of course, that depends how much of it you order. I noticed as I walked in it had 13 amp sockets by the tables and I thought, well, I'm definitely coming here then because my phone was about 50% charged and um, I was being met by a car at the other end and so I didn't want my phone to run out in case I needed to get hold of the driver. Plus, I had to listen to all those podcasts on the plane. So when I finished my meal, I noticed there was a fire on the table. (coughs) that you could scan a qr code and pay with paypal online and i thought oh that that, that's interesting i wasn't in a particular rush i always get to the airport way before the flight so i wasn't in a particular rush but i did that anyway and then i started to worry what if it hadn't gone through and if i just stood up and left the restaurant would they think that i was just running away would they chase after me would there be a big scene in the middle of the departure lounge And so I ended up calling over the person who'd been serving me to check that the transaction had gone through. And she went away and checked and came back and confirmed. And actually, I think that whole interaction was probably more awkward and time-consuming than had I just paid. Anyway, after Giraffe, post-it notes. So, these episodes are not scripted in the way the first couple of episodes were. But I do... Write myself a few bullet points to follow, so that I make sure I get in the stories I want to get in, or whatever. And I found the best way to do that, and the best way I find to do other things as well, like that, is is to write things on post-it notes and then shuffle them round on a table till you get them in the right order. And brought any post-it notes with me. So my first stop was W. H. Smith's, stationery shop. So. The stationery section seemed to consist of some pink notebooks with unicorns on and a pack of biros. Admittedly, I could have used those to do what I wanted to, but mm, I wanted post-it notes. So eventually, I found myself in a shop called Hema. I had not seen one in an airport before, but I know they've now got one at Euston Station as well. They sell a baffling array of party supplies, toiletries and cutesy stationery. It was the only place selling post-it notes at the airport, and even then the only ones they had were in the shape of pink stars. So, here I am, in front of a bedside table in a hotel, and the table is covered in pink stars with notes written on them. You know, business travel's not what it's cracked up to be. The truth is, I'd much rather be at home in London tonight. And much as we talk about how flying are great for the planet, there's still some meetings that really have to be done in person and I'm over here to do the annual reviews of the team. I didn't fly in business class. You know, most people don't fly in business class these days, including those flying on business. I fly more often in business class when flying for leisure and in economy when flying for business. And when I've got a business trip to make, I just email off some of my dates where I need to be where I need to be. And then I get back an itinerary and I just turn up where i I'm told to turn up, and here I am. I don't really get much say in the travel booking itself. The flight over here was uneventful. I guess that's the best sort of flight, really. Yeah, I don't get anxious about flying. It comes as a surprise, because I've noticed there's there's a, a thing amongst people around me that once I say I suffer from anxiety, they think I must get anxious about everything. And of course, I sometimes get anxious whilst flying, but... Flying itself is really, if ever, the trigger for it, despite some of the really bad flights I've had over the years. Back in the days when I used to work just south of Manchester, I used to fly up from London City on little propeller planes on an airline called... Ooh, it wasn't KLM, it was something else LM. VLM. And... There were tiny planes with propellers and because they're so small they tend to get battered around by the wind so much more than the big planes. And one day we were on the approach to Manchester and the plane was bouncing around and the woman next to me grabbed the armrest so hard that her knuckles were going white and she started whispering, we're all going to die. Over and over again all the way until we landed. Mobile phones weren't as prevalent as they are now back then. A lot of people had them but they weren't as ubiquitous. And then you couldn't use them until the plane was on the ground and you were back in the terminal building. So imagine my surprise when we're coming into land and I hear somebody down the plane saying, sorry I can't talk right now we're coming into land and I shouldn't really be using my phone. These days You can use your phone as soon as you come to a stop at the stand. But on the flight over to Valencia last night, people were checking messages and making phone calls. Literally the second the wheels got on the tarmac, the eagerness to get back online is is overwhelming. Reminds me of what happens as soon as the seatbelt goes light. Everybody stands up. As soon as the seatbelt light is out, everybody stands up and kind of crouches underneath the overhead locker and starts to gather the bags and including those of us sitting over by the window and we have to kind of bend double to stand up and usually I've got bags to collect at the other end anyway so it doesn't save any time but I still do it. I don't get anxious around the idea of getting on a plane but there are things I do to help the anxiety of travel. Despite the fact that I know that plastic is going to work everywhere you go these days I always make sure I take enough cash with me to pay for the hotel and to get me through the first day or two. It turns out being an expensive habit because what usually happens is that I put the hotel on credit cards so I can claim it back on expenses and it always works and then I've got a few hundred euros in my pocket which I end up spending on things because I get bored at the airport. I've also started carrying my own decaf coffee with me. In many hotels, although weirdly not in the business hotels but in many hotels you get a little tiny kettle and a few sachets of coffee and sometimes you get hot chocolate if you're lucky but rarely do you get decaf there's one hotel I stay in in Rennes where you do get decaf but the French office doesn't have decaf so I have to take the sachets with me to the office if I don't take the sachets with me, the only option from the coffee machine in the office there is this kind of lemon and menthol tea, which tastes a bit like Lemsip. This hotel doesn't have a kettle in the room. It doesn't really have much. It doesn't even have a mini bar. There is what used to be a mini bar, but it's got a couple of free bottles of water in. And I guess the assumption is that if you want coffee, you'll pop downstairs to the lobby where there's a coffee bar and get one. But I can't be bothered putting my shoes on and go and doing that. The country I've been to the most on business trips is Sweden and even though I've not worked in a job which takes me there for some time I still remember it. Quite often I do the trip there and back in the day I get the flight out from Heathrow at usually six forty, and I get home in a cab sometime 11 o'clock at night. Eventually I started to make the trips overnight and stay for a couple of days and I stayed in a hotel called the Mr Chip in the Schuster Technology Park. There were rumours of another hotel called The Memory, which was apparently nicer, but I never got to stay there. That's where the execs got to stay. Mr Chip wasn't all bad. It did have room service, but there was a fairly decent restaurant down in the lobby, and the minibar was stocked with chocolate and crisps. You could get BBC on the telly, and you could walk to the office from the hotel, so, you know... You know, I'm not really into the social aspect of business travel. As I said before, I don't tend to go out and explore whichever city I'm in. Right now, I'm in a little hotel, on a little technology and light industrial estate in a suburb of Valencia. There's nothing here but the hotel, really. There's a supermarket a few minutes walk away, but I've never been there. But I can walk to the office in ten minutes, so it works for me. Business hotels are okay. And really, the nicest hotels I've stayed in, but really the worst. Even the Mr Chip wasn't that bad. Even it wasn't as nice as the Mythical Memory. You know, it was only years later that I actually realised that Mr Chip and Memory were both plays on the theme of technology. There was a man on the side of the Mr Chip Hotel as a logo. He had arms and legs and he was yellow. And so I presumed he was a chip. Or a crisp, as Americans would call it. In my defense i only ever saw him from a taxi and it was usually in the dark so i don't think i can really blame blame for not realizing what kind of chip he was and i'm not i'm not that fussy about hotels as long as the bed's comfy the room's comfortable enough to sleep in the shower works i'm pretty happy i rarely use room service at the hotel because you know perching yourself on the edge of the bed Shoveling food into your mouth whilst watching TV in a language you don't understand, it's not a good image. I've never used a hotel pool, and I rarely use a hotel gym. The hotel room I come here to sleep, and occasionally a bit of work, and now apparently for recording podcasts. You know, I arrived last night quite late, and it's a third or fourth visit to this hotel, and when I checked in, the receptionist said to me, You're on our executive floor. I thought, oh, that sounds nice. The only other time something like that happened to me it ended quite well. I'd been out for a Sony Ericsson event in Manchester and didn't get to the hotel until nearly midnight. And when I checked in, they said, oh, the only room left's on the top floor. So I went up in the lift and I found out that my room was the Johnny Cash suite. There was a guitar in tune um, sitting next to the sofa in the seating area and a huge bed with a picture window in the roof and you could press button and the blinds would open. You could see the stars above the bed. And the marble bathroom was not far off the size of my flat in London at the time. I only got to stay in it for a few hours, though, because there was a taxi coming at 7 o'clock in the morning to take us back to the office. Not long after I got into so the phone rang, and it was the colleague who was staying there with me. And he said he'd been given the angel suite. So I popped round to see it, as he invited me to do. And instead of Johnny Cash, there was Madonna. A life-size Madonna in a pointy bra in the shower that's a bit weird i've had a few experiences which are a bit weird in hotels in manchester including one time when i was in the shower and glanced out of the window and realized that the trains going past on the viaduct were so close i could actually see what newspapers people were reading let's not think too hard about that situation so what's it like on the executive floor i hear you ask Well, it's pretty much like every other floor I've stayed on in the hotel. The room's split into three. There's a vestibule when you come in from the door, and it's L-shaped, and it's got a basin in it. And then off that, there's a door which leads into a little room with a loo and a shower in, and the shower's over the bath. And then there's another door which leads in here, which is the bit of the hotel room with the beds in. I guess the basin's separate to the loo and shower so that one person can do their makeup while the other's in the bathroom... But I'm not sure if that's necessary on the executive floor. Do, how often is it that people share hotel rooms if they're travelling on business? You know, I say that, I know some people where they do share hotel rooms when travelling on business. And thankfully, I have never get, worked at a company where that's been necessary. Do not get me started on how weird that would be. I mean, the room here does have two beds. I'm here on my own and it's a twin room. I'd rather have a double because then I could spread out a bit, but this time I've got a single bed and there's another single bed. In fact, I'm sitting on the another single bed at the moment. I thought I should use it for something. The first few times I stayed in the twin room on my own on business, I found that I I had this need to switch between beds every other night. But nowadays I just tend to use a spare one for chucking clothes on or throwing my coat on or for recording a podcast on but you know if i move into the second bed it means performing the drama of unpicking the sheets in the way they've been tucked in in hotels they push the sheets in so stupidly tight that if i get underneath them i can't get my feet down to the bottom of the bed because how tightly the sheet's pulling so i have to go round and pull out the upper sheet and then usually in doing that i pull out the lower sheet as well and so i need to go back round and tuck in the lower sheet and such a palaver what would be the problem with having a fitted sheet and a duvet you know i wish i could say to a hotel in advance don't do that just give me a duvet and i'll be happy i mean it's one of the reasons why i always put the do not disturb sign on a hotel door if i'm just staying for a few days i don't need the bed changing if i'm only sleeping in it for two nights and that means that they don't try and tuck it back in again i mean you don't have the option of duvets but this hotel does have a pillow menu now this is something that i've come across a few times before it's a little sheet of paper and on it you have types of pillow and i can see it now and some of the pillows are one euro fifty and some of them are two euros a night it's mostly in spanish but in the bits that are translated one of the pillows is a cervical pillow i don't think i'll be needing one of those also in hotels you get these weird things that go sideways across the bed i don't know what they're called they look like runners that you put down a dining table i think i've worked out that they're in the right place that if you lay on the hotel bed with your shoes on then your dirty shoes wouldn't mark the sheets but who does that i mean really do people lie on hotel beds with the shoes on it's just another thing to take off and throw across onto the spur bed, isn't it? The other thing that hotels never get right, even business hotels, is just how many sockets we need in this day and age and where we need them. We need them by the bed. At home, I turn off my phone at some point in the evening and I stick it in my office at home and it stays there. But when I'm travelling, it stays switched on because it's the alarm clock. Because usually hotels don't provide alarm clocks. It's usually been used throughout the day in the office. And um, so when I get back to the hotel, I need to charge it overnight. And so it'd be lovely to have a socket by the bed so I could plug the phone in and I could have it next to me as the alarm clock. But no. So my phone is currently 20 feet away. Meaning not only is it a long way to go and turn the alarm off when the alarm goes off, but equally if I wake up and I'm not sure what time it is, I like to check the time to see whether it's worth going back to sleep or whether it's just 10 minutes before the alarm, in which case I'll just get up anyway. I can't do that because my phone is all the way over there and there is no clock in the room. You know, there was one hotel I stayed in which did get it right. They had a double socket by the bed. But the bedside table had a rounded top. I mean, it looked lovely, don't get me wrong, it was stylish. But that meant unless you balanced everything right in the very middle the table it would slip to one side and gradually end up on the floor so there is a socket by the bed but there are three light switches there's another two over there by the door out into the vestibule and then on the other side of that wall there's another three and then there's two on the outside of the door into the shower room and then there's four by the main hotel room door last night it genuinely took me quite a while to wander around the switches and work out which combination of switches in which positions made all the lights go off. And I've never really seen the need for interesting lighting in a hotel room. I see the need for a little light by the bed, so you can read in bed, I get that. But the rest of the room, couldn't we just have it on or off? I have never sat in a hotel room thinking, you know... I'd really like all of the room to be dark, except that corner, which I would like to be brightly lit. The lights aren't even brilliantly placed. There isn't one over the shower. So, when I'm standing in the shower, I'm side-lit from the downlighter by the loo. It's a little bit disturbing. You know, the bathroom is another reason why I put the Do Not Disturb sign on, because... Whenever they come in and housekeeping do the bed, they also have this habit of arranging the toiletries. They tend to line them up in a row by size. I could do without somebody doing that. It feels a bit weird, somebody touching my toiletries. Although, this morning, you know, I did notice one perk of the executive floor. I was sitting in the breakfast room, having just sat down, and I was told I was sitting in the wrong room, and the guy looked a bit flustered, and he ushered me into this smaller room with... Floor length curtains and nice windows, and it had proper napkins, but no cereal and no toaster. The fruit juices were better quality, and there were some nice pastries, but my Spanish is non existent, and so I had no way of saying to him, Look, can I go back into the non executive room? Because frankly, I much preferred the cereal in there. The only thing the executive room seemed to have that the other one didn't was. People brimming with entitlements who speak on their phones far too loudly and make a point of talking about all the important people they're going to meet and oh really. But on my way back upstairs in the lift, I saw a sign that I've seen before a few times. Apparently, between four PM and ten pm, the hotel has something called special horse is that a unicorn It also doesn't say whether it's only for the executives instead of a closing theme for this episode there's a little bit of a postscript i'm back home now i've been home a, a week or two and i'm um Putting this episode together, it's going out in a couple of days' time, so we're now into November and the Spanish trip is a little bit behind me, but I just wanted to talk about something that happened on the flight on the way home. First, let me set the scene. I was in Valencia Airport. I joined the front of the queue for the flight. Um, As soon as the gate was announced, I was standing at the gate and I was chatting to the people behind me and... um, the, the, the wife of the couple was quite nice and then the husband came over and started talking to me about Brexit and Nigel Farage and I thought well this is not going to go brilliantly is it but you know managed to maintain a polite ska- um smile and there was another guy standing in the queue behind them who runs a skydiving company in Valencia so I was chatting to him and the flight was delayed and delayed a bit more and delayed a bit more and Eventually they told us we may as well go and sit back down because it was going to be a couple of hours because there was a technical problem with the flight and we looked out the window and there were men in cars driving up to the plane and twiddling with bits and driving away again and a couple of the guys who'd been standing in the queue chatting were kind of offering their expert view on what might be wrong with the plane and I thought, oh, come on, you don't know what's wrong with the plane but, you know, you just smile and and anyway... And anyway, after an hour and a half, actually, they said, right, you can join the queue again because um, the plane's going to go again. So I took my place back at the front of the queue and that was all fine. And we were all a bit, I wouldn't say fractious. I don't tend to get angry when a plane's delayed. There's not much I can do about it. I'm still going to get home. I mean, I'd started to worry a bit what happens if this one gets cancelled. Will I get home tonight? Will I have to stay another night in a Spanish hotel? How will that all work? But I checked on my phone and there were other airlines with flights going back to the UK that night. So I thought to myself, well, worst case, if this one gets cancelled, I'll just book myself a flight back later in the evening and take that. So we were all lined up and um, they let us onto the plane. And um, I think, I mean, I think that my kind of, I was feeling a bit, vulnerable, fragile anyway. I mean, the the, the the late flight didn't really help. And there was a long queue of people and we'd been split into boarding groups. And I was in the second boarding group to go on. So uh, once the first queue was empty, we just kind of started walking. And the woman said, oh, well, we're not boarding people from your group yet. And I was like, look, the flight's late and there's nobody else in the other queue. She said, oh, OK. And let us through and I got kind of a few comments from the other passengers say oh thank you for doing that we were just going to stand there and you've got us on a bit more quickly and I was thinking oh that's quite cool you know I've done a nice thing and we're all getting on the plane and whatever so I sat in my seat which was the middle of the three and a couple I presume there are a couple got on and um they were sitting in window and aisle and the woman said to me oh would you mind moving and I thought that doesn't make any difference to me so I moved to sit next to the window. And they sat um, the aisle in the middle seat and uh, and whatever and um, didn't hear anything more from them. I was reading my book, which, to be honest, wasn't great. But um, about 20 minutes into the flight, the woman said to me, if you don't stop doing that, I'm going to have to have you reseated. I thought, I don't know what I'm doing. And she said, oh, well. It's disgusting. It's uncivilized. I don't feel like I should sit next to people like you on a flight. I'm going to have you reseated by the cabin crew. I genuinely don't know what it was I was doing. I was too shocked to say much. And I was thinking, what am I doing that I don't know I'm doing? I was reading my book wasn't grey, but I don't think that was the problem. I, I do have a nervous habit of playing with the the, the front lock of hair on my head when I'm a little bit nervous or whatever, or even when I'm just reading a book, I sometimes twiddle with my hair, but I, I wouldn't say that twiddling with your hair is disgusting and uncivilised. I mean she went ranting at me for a good five minutes, refusing to tell me what it was I was supposedly doing, and I wasn't going to apologize for something that I didn't know I was doing and um and she told me that um you know she was going to have me reseated there weren't any spur seats on the plane, so I don't know what she was banging on about but i did i remained calm, and I said to her. I know we've all, you know, the flight's late. I've overheard you saying that you've missed your flight on to Manchester and there isn't another one tonight. So I get that you're stressed about the fact that you don't know what's going to happen when you get to London, but there's no reason to take it out on me. That just made her worse. I mean, with hindsight, of course it did, but I tried to remain calm and in the end I just told her, I'm done with listening to you. If you don't like whatever it is I'm doing, just look the other way. Now, that created an atmosphere between us for the flight, and it was horrible. I I don't think I was doing anything wrong. And if I was doing anything subconsciously, it was probably a nervous tick. I certainly wasn't doing anything disgusting deliberately. I'm not sure I was doing anything disgusting at all, to be honest, but... If she just told me, I would have known, but no. I think the thing that upset me the most was the fact that her immediate recourse was I'm going to have you reseated. As if she can just click her fingers and the world will change to how she wants it to be. It was such a... It was such a demonstration of privilege and entitlement and... I was on the receiving end of it, and it's bloody horrible. Of course, the rest of the flight, there was attention. I didn't dare look at her in case she started shouting at me again, and I just stared out the window. I was trying to read the book, but fortunately it wasn't a particularly complex story, so I could still follow it, but I wasn't really concentrated. I was trying to fight back the tears. I was... Shaking, I just wanted to get off the plane and get home, but I was stuck next to this unpleasant woman for the next hour and a half before I could. Now, I get it. She's stressed. The flight's late. She might not even be going to get home that evening. That's not nice. I get that. But not everybody is strong enough to cope with the way she behaved to me. And on that day, I wasn't. You know, whenever you lose your temper, whenever you say something unpleasant to somebody, you might be able to shake it off, but maybe they can't. You know, not everything that somebody's suffering from is visible. Not everybody who's hurting has a bandage or a plaster cast on. And sometimes you can ruin somebody's day and you don't even know you're doing it. You know, I've no doubt that whatever the hell it was I was doing was generally winding her up a bit. But equally, I've no doubt that whoever sat next to her would have done something that wound her up. And she would have fired that at somebody because of how wound up she was generally about the delay of the flight. And it came my way. And I've no doubt that she thinks I've forgotten it. She's probably forgotten it. She probably can't even remember what it was I was supposedly doing to annoy her. But she probably doesn't know how much that still plays in my mind and how much that still bothers me. Yes, that's my fault and that's something I need to get over, but it still hurts. You know, I try to be kind. I don't try to hurt anyone. Maybe she didn't deliberately try to hurt me, but whether she meant to or not, she did. And you know some people are fighting battles that you know nothing about and the wrong word an unkind word an insult you know it might be a slip of the tongue it might be an expression of your frustration or whatever but the person on the receiving end of that could be hurting you know you could well have ruined somebody's day somebody's week somebody's life by just saying the wrong thing and on that day that's what that woman did to me I'm never going to meet her again I'm never going to see her again I have no idea who she was I know she was flying to Manchester I don't it doesn't bother me but a bit like the PE teachers in the second episode part of me would like to be able to explain to her that actually she did a lot more damage than she thought she did i mean having the biased view of her i do maybe that wouldn't make any difference but maybe it would this episode of anxious laughter was recorded in several parts it was mostly recorded in a hotel room just outside valencia with a few retakes done in that part uh back home here in the uk The final section was done back in the UK a little bit later. As always, it was written by me, it was spoken by me, and it was recorded by me. So I'm Dan McNeill, and that was Anxious Laughter.